If you are looking for the front page of DeFi, look no further than Zerion.io. Zerion is your home base for managing your DeFi portfolios. Zerion offers a central place for you to engage with all of the DeFi protocols and assets that you engage with on a daily basis, but all in one central spot. Here you can see I've loaded up a wallet and Zerion is giving me the portfolio performance of all the assets in this wallet over time, as well as a breakdown of all the assets that I own, as well as all of my transaction history that I've ever done in an easy to view fashion. Zerion also lets you invest right into DeFi's best yielding financial opportunities right from their homepage. Zerion also makes it super easy to access interest in DeFi using applications like Compound and Aave in the background. And you can also exchange your assets using the Zerion app, using an exchange aggregator in the background to make sure that you always get the best rates. You can even use the Zerion mobile wallet to add your MetaMask or Argent or another Ethereum address right into your mobile wallet so you can see your portfolio and engage in DeFi on the go. Here I just loaded up my Argent wallet and now I'm going to load up my MetaMask as well. And Zerion will do the same thing. It will add all of my assets and wallets together all in one space and give me a portfolio summary of what's going on. Adding wallets is trivially easy. If you already have a MetaMask, you can get it right into the Zerion app and it can sync with your desktop app as well. And the best part is you can also buy Ether right into the app itself. Use the invest tab to look at all the things that you have invested in as well as other opportunities. And coming soon to the Zerion app is the ability to buy and sell your assets straight from your mobile device as well. So download the app. It works on iOS and Android. Go to Zerion.io, plug in your wallets and get a historical report of your portfolio over time, as well as a comprehensive breakdown of all the assets that you own and how much yield they're generating for you. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is, you can you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in Compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart Monolith smart contract wallet on Ethereum. So it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a, a, a savings account that gets software updates. So this is, this is something that you're never gonna find out in the real world, but you can still do real world things with you know real money in, like buy your groceries. So that's just fantastic. Coming soon to Monolith, actually already here to Monolith, is now you can buy DAI and get it sent to your wallet directly, right? So it's also being an on-ramp. So you don't have to go through your centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini or wherever. You can just go straight from your bank account right into your Monolith checking account smart contract wallet. So check them out at monolith.xyz. Bankless Station, welcome to a special holiday episode of your weekly roll-up. This is the fourth week of December. David, what are we doing today? We are rolling it up. We are rolling up the week of news into a short little snippet that gets injected right into your brain. The crypto industry, the Ethereum world, the Bitcoin world moves super fast. And so therefore we need to roll up the week and get it injected into your brain so you can keep up with what's going on in the crazy industry of crypto.
because this is a holiday week, guys. We're releasing it to you a day early, a day before Christmas. So this is going to come out on Thursday for your Thursday morning coffee. So whatever you're doing this holiday season, we hope you are enjoying some downtime with your family, but we wanted to get this roll up to you. David, we're gonna to attempt to do this in about 25 minutes. And we hit market, we hit releases, we're gonna hit news, some hot takes, and finally end with what we are excited about. So as usual, you can view this on the Bankless YouTube channel, check it out there, or the podcast. David, are you ready? 25 minutes? Let's roll we're it up. Let's do this. Let's roll, roll it up. All right, let's start. We, we're actually starting with something new. So let's highlight a Bankless citizen this week, David. So who is this guy? Yeah, so like we say when we usually do our roll-ups uh, to bring your coffee and drink it with you because this is a very high-energy show, but uh, the bankless citizen, uh, Matthias, I think, yeah, Matthias, uh, he does handstands while he listens to the roll-ups. So, uh, Ma Matthias, I, I hope you're doing a handstand right now, and, and thanks for the shout-out on Twitter. And if anybody else has some crazy rituals that they do while they listen to the weekly roll-ups, let us know and add us at the bankless Twitter. Dude, two things at the same time, getting fit while you are getting crypto injected in your brain. There's nothing better. Uh, that is awesome, man. Okay, let's talk with, let's talk about the market, Dave. Let's start there. What is the market telling us? Bitcoin continues to, to hover up right. above its all-time high, its previous all-time high anyway. What, what are we looking at this week? Yeah, this is the second phase, it looks like, of very high BTC consolidation. The last time we had a weekly roll-up, it was right before the Bitcoin broke into the 20K range, and it had been consolidating in the very high 17,000, low 19,000 range, and then it jumped up to 23,000-ish, and now it is doing that same thing, consolidating between $24,000 and $23,000, extremely high prices. And with historical, in reference to historical Bitcoin prices, yet the dumps seem to be uh, bought. The, the, there doesn't really seem to be significant dumpage here. Like Bitcoin is at all time highs and it doesn't really want to go down from that. Uh, we'll see if that holds. But again, like super high consolidation levels from Bitcoin right now. Pretty bullish way to end December. Also, Bitcoin dominance is doing like really mm -hmm. well. Are we close to 70% now? Yeah, we are all, We are basically touching 70%. Bitcoin dominance was already doing really, really hot. And, and then the uh, XRP news broke. XRP, the third largest cryptocurrency, dumped 25% on the news, which just propelled Bitcoin dominance to be even higher. So Bitcoin dominance doing really, really well right now. And guys, if you're not familiar with what Bitcoin dominance is, of course, it's Bitcoin's percentage of the total crypto market cap. So Bitcoin now, in terms of value, represents 70% of the total crypto market cap. Uh, that fluctuates up and down over time. It's close to its all-time high on dominance as well, at least the highest it's been in a while. Yeah. Um, also, like corporations continue to buy, especially Michael Saylor and micro MicroStrategy. Well, they, they, they talked about buying more Bitcoin. It looks like they have now indeed bought some more Bitcoin for their balance sheet. What's going on here? Right. So this was the announcement of MicroStrategy doing a uh, an offering, a bond offering, a convertible note. So if the price of the MicroStrategy share price gets above a certain number, the loan that MicroStrategy took out converts into shares in the company. Uh, but this was what was announced last week. The, last week, they announced that they were going to do this, they, which implied that they were going to be purchasing $650 million worth of Bitcoin. And what they are announcing today is that they did it. Right, like they told us they would, and then they did. I'm actually surprised that it happened so quickly. Uh, 600 to move 650 million dollars in seven days is no small feat. And what's interesting to me is that the Bitcoin price—it's—it's it's hard to pin where 
MicroStrategy made the purchase, right? It obviously wasn't one big market buy. It was spread over time. Uh, but it's it's hit, because Bitcoin is so liquid, it's been hidden in the market frothiness that we've seen. So we actually don't see a Bitcoin price increase specifically because of this uh, $650 million purchase, which illustrates how liquid Bitcoin is. Guys, this is why we always say liquidity begets liquidity. This kind of a purchase, a $650 million purchase would have been impossible to make like five years ago, right? Like there, there just wasn't the liquidity to support it now. Or even in the bear market because price even, yeah. creates liquidity too. Absolutely. And so as, as the market cap for these cryptocurrencies get bigger, then larger entities, institutions can begin purchasing them in larger quantities. Liquidity begets liquidity. Let's talk about ETH price too. So we're, we're kind of flat from last week uh, or so, up just 3% in the last seven days. It really feels like, David, Bitcoin dominance is just sucking the air out of the room here. Well, last week was the week that Bitcoin broke its all-time high. So that's, to me, that's no surprise. Like the, the week following Bitcoin's breaking of all-time high is a Bitcoin-themed week. You know, Bitcoin was up 21%, it's 21% in the last seven days, Ether up just 3%. Uh, it's just a Bitcoin week. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens again moving forward. Uh, you're, you are right. Ether is struggling to keep itself up above the $600 mark. It recently touched 670 Now it's floating right above 600 So, yeah, it's definitely got some room above it in comparison to Bitcoin. The interesting thing about this is um, you mentioned it was the Bitcoin week that the, when Bitcoin dominance starts to get at these heights, people start talking about like, well, is 2021 going to be a Bitcoin dominated year, right? It always, the, the conversation always swings in that direction until there is some type of reversal. So TBD on 2021, whether that is Bitcoin dominated or whether a reversal really uh, like swings the conversation the, the other direction. So we will see. Let's look at total locked value in DeFi. So that is down a little bit from about 16 and a half billion to 14 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, what's happening there and what's happening with the DeFi Pulse Index, David? Yeah, this is most likely just the depreciation of the value of assets inside of DeFi, bringing that total value locked down. Uh, the DPI, the DeFi index token, is down from where it was last week at $115 down to $111. Uh, so like, still still pretty flat. Uh, things kind of are, are waiting for the Ethereum markets to, to heat up again. So it's been, been a quiet week. However, like you are showing right now on the screen, the ETH number locked in DeFi continues to march upwards. And that is one of the core fundamentals of the Ethereum economy. What percentage of Ether is in DeFi? That number continues to march up to new all-time highs. So we've got 7.3 million ETH locked in DeFi and add uh, in this ETH2 staking contract, there's another almost 2 million. We're right. at the cusp of hitting 2 million. So that's almost 10 million locked. So that's a good close to 10%, getting close mm -hmm. to 10% between staking and ETH locked in DeFi. Um, I love the new charts that DeFi Pulse put out, this, this Bitcoin at work chart too, which shows a, a breakdown of all of the um, Bitcoin assets that are tokenized on Ethereum today. Uh, and so it shows right now there's 142,000 Bitcoin that represents about $3.3 billion tokenized on Ethereum today. This number was like zero yeah, at the beginning of last year, year. <laughs> like mm -hmm. crazy man look at this growth chart dude like this is just like mount everest where it's just like right. straight up <laughs> um and i love this this because they actually break down the different types of 
wrapped Bitcoin, tokenized Bitcoin. WBTC, of course, has an 80% dominance. Yeah, very strong. Uh, and that is a custodial crypto banked type solution. So really interesting chart here. Do you have anything to add, David? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Bitcoin on Ethereum infrastructure like and data available, like just having data about that available to us. I think that's really important to growing that sort of conversation. The, the Bitcoin on Ethereum conversation is really, really hard because Bitcoiners like their Bitcoin on Bitcoin. Uh, and we are going to see over, I think the next year, we are really going to see whether the Bitcoin blockchain as a as an entity embraces Ethereum and embraces Ethereum as an L2 solution for Bitcoin, or do they, or, or does Bitcoin kind of just be, stay reclusive and stay self-sovereign, stay, um, keep, keep itself like in Bitcoin on a Bitcoin and, and kind of keep to itself. We're going to see whether the, the narratives and the ecosystems make that choice or not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two other things in the market section. We're just going to skim over them quickly because we got to get to releases. The first is Grayscale is like printing money, my friend, with their GBTC and their ETH E products. 25 million a month in December. Annualized, that's like what, 300 million annualized? Mm -hmm. uh, what a great product for Grayscale. Not so great for retail. Like the SEC blocking ETFs mm -hmm. is really uh, hurting retail. They're paying a premium for these yep. products. But Grayscale is cleaning up there, of course. Um, also, we're going to get to this a little bit later, David, but it, it's worth highlighting a little bit in the market section. XRP, uh, some news came out that the SEC is going after XRP in a big way, Ripple in a mm -hmm. big way. And some of the crypto trust indexes, namely, namely Bitwise already, have mm -hmm. already just sold, liquidated mm -hmm. all of their XRP. Grayscale is probably going to uh, follow suit. So some interesting developments on the XRP front. I, I generally ignore XRP, David, mm -hmm. but it's worth talking about a little bit, I think, today. Do you have anything to add to that? I know we're going to hit it later, too. Yeah, we are, we are going to hit it later. I think it's just worth to note that like, what happened was that XRP is, going, is getting pointed at by the SEC saying this is a security. And then all the related infrastructure around XRP that legally cannot provide infrastructure to securities needs to change their path. And so that's what we're seeing. The Bitwise is dumping all of their XRP to remove it from their, their index. Uh, Grayscale is likely going to be dumping XRP because they can't be offering a security product in the way that they're offering. Exchanges can't list XRP because it is a security. Overall, a bad day to have infrastructure for XRP because you need to exit in that, that environment in order to be compliant, according to the SEC. I think a lot of people saw this coming, so <laughs> it's it's tough to be <laughs> surprised, but it's you know that is actually happening now. I guess is uh, is somewhat surprising. All right, let's get to releases. The Graph Network, which is sort of a, an API for all of De DeFi, built on top of Ethereum, mm -hmm. some other protocols. They they um, their their token GRT has just gone like absolutely bonkers yep. nuts this week. Uh, I was kind of looking at it in the background, but what's the story here? I, I see this GRT token is now a 4.6 billion fully yes. diluted valuation. What the heck is going Very on? Very high. Very high. Yeah. yeah. Brand new token on the block. It immediately started pumping, which is where uh, so much attention got thrown into it. The graph is straight up a great project, a great team, and really a needed service for DeFi. Uh, it is one of the important cornerstones that allows DeFi to work while also maintaining decentralization. So, so very useful and valuable product. I do not think that the token is currently reflective of the value that, that the graph currently 
currently is adding to the ecosystem. I think there's a lot of speculation here. Um, and the, the the token made big headlines by like doing a like a, a 10x on the first day, like three times over again. Um, I would not recommend getting into this token at this present moment. This is extremely bubbly. This is extremely frothy. However, congratulations to the graph for getting the token out the door and getting the, the graph network up and running. Of course, guys, this is not financial advice. We are also going to be publishing some information about the token economics of DRT and the Graph Project pretty soon on the Bankless newsletter. So make sure you are subscribed to that. Speaking of tokens, David, Tornado Cash, they released a governance token. Yep. What's going on here? Yeah, a retrospective airdrop, very much like Uniswap did. If you have ever used uh, Tornado Cash, you might have gotten some TORN tokens. I've seen some criticisms about the design of this token, saying that it doesn't actually do much. There's not much about the Tornado Cash protocol that needs to be governed. It's a pretty static system. So I, I have heard that criticism that like, what's the point of the token? However, everyone likes retroactive airdrops to anyone that's used Tornado Cash. So if you have used Tornado Cash in the, in the past, go check out to see if you've got any torn tokens. Dude, we've got to do an article on a bank list about a retrospective airdrops because here, here's the reality, guys. If you are using DeFi protocols, um, chances are you're going to be rewarded with airdrops in the future. So there's a list of some protocols that don't yet have tokens that are candidates for rewards. Um, Zapper comes to mind. Zerion comes to mind. DYDX. Mm -hmm. We should do a full post on this, David. Tornado just went in that direction. So get rewarded for using DeFi early. That's mm -hmm. um, a pretty compelling reason to, to start using these tools as well. I think it's safe to assume that your tokenless product and project that you use probably will have a token in the future. Probably. Uh, all right, Compound Labs, some interesting information here. So they, this is this is the Compound Protocol, of course. They released a white paper for a new, uh, I don't even call this a, a sidechain, proof of authority sidechain on Ethereum that they are building um and it, it's supposed to serve as a bridge uh from ethereum to maybe central bank digital currencies through to other chains what's your take on this new compound chain yeah, this was met with uh, a little bit of controversy. However, I'm I'm sitting on my hands and waiting for this to play out. Um, Compound is building, like you said, a, a, a unique and its own independent blockchain that does one thing, which is serve the Compound protocol on that blockchain. There are definitely some advantages to this, such as you know low gas fees, like you're not since you're not on the Ethereum mainnet. Um, there's also some centralization going on because proof of authority chains are inherently centralized, and I think that might be like the angle. I don't know what Compound is up to. However, I do understand that they are some of the smartest and uh, most on the frontier uh, of many of the DeFi protocols that we talk about. So I trust that they're doing makes sense for Compound. Maybe the centralization element that they're adding to Compound is something that allows for off-chain real-world assets. Um, Ave has done something similarly uh, similar to this by creating a centralized like derivative version of Ave that can host off-chain assets. Maybe this is what Compound's doing. What's also interesting is the cash token. So Compound has their own native stablecoin, which is like the ether of their own um, chain. Uh, so some some interesting plays. What the criticism comes from Compound is no longer explicitly and and uh, only built on Ethereum. It's now its own self-sovereign thing. And so some Ethereum maxis are are hesitant about that. However, I'm, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic and waiting for whatever the benefits of this thing are to, to play out. Um, so well, I will be watching this.
I agree with that take. I, I think it's important uh, to, to just kind of let things play out. This is definitely not a competitive threat to the credible neutrality of Ethereum. Um, maybe it'll amount to nothing. Maybe it'll be useful for Compound. I think it'll be useful for DeFi. Let's let's uh, see what happens and, and figure it out. It's I'm definitely happy. different though than the roll-up approach. Yes, very right? different. So very different. the question of why they didn't go with kind of a roll-up like mm -hmm. the way Synthetics is doing, it, you know, it, it, I still have that question in my mind. I am happy to see a more a new stablecoin enter the arena, though. The cash stablecoin, I think I have high hopes for that. Interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll be monitoring that for sure. Also, uh, another protocol just mentioned a raise. This is the Union Finance Protocol. Uh, tell us about this, David. Yeah, I, this is uh, new to me as as well. I haven't heard too much about this, but this is a project going straight after uh, straight up credit on Ethereum, and that's credit in a very different way, in, in the more traditional way, which is unsecured loans. Um, we in the DeFi world are very used to over collateralized loans. This is going after no collateralized loans, or or maybe collateralized by something alternative like your reputation, which in the legacy world would be your credit score. Uh, and so they are working on building a system that allows for unsecured loans in DeFi. And so I'm uh, that is something that definitely could uh, really be useful in DeFi. We love our loans. Uh, and why not add unsecured, uncollateralized loans if Union can figure out how to provide this? So uh, good luck to Union and, and congrats on the raise. Yeah, I've seen an early demo, pretty excited about it. We will see how it goes once it hits mainnet. Um, this perpetual protocol as well, they just launched mainnet as well. This is a ETH and Bitcoin perpetual contracts protocol. David, what, what is this and what's different about this versus something like a DYDX that is doing uh, perpetuals right now? Yeah, Perpetual Protocol is one, the first team that issued their PERP token, their native token, using the Balancer smart contract uh, or, or smart pool, uh, which is That's the right. same, same same pool that we distributed the BAP to tokens with. So some combination of an AMM slash uh, Dutch auction mechanism, which I'm really bullish on as a token distribution mechanism. And uh, with regards to the actual uh, uh, architecture behind the perpetual swaps, uh, I, I don't know what the difference is between uh, perpetual protocol and DYDX, then that it's a little bit outside of my area of expertise. But do know that there are options out there, new options out there to go leverage long on Bitcoin or Ether. I do know that DYDX caps out at 4x and perpetual protocol is offering 12x. So if you are, are feeling three times more degenerate than whatever you were doing <laughs> on DYDX, perpetual <laughs> protocol might be for you. Tis the season to be de degenerate. Is that what you're saying, David? <laughs> no, if it, just full YOLO, man. Well, YOLO. All right. Well, let's talk about, uh, speaking of, of YOLOs, uh, Gitcoin, actually, like people during the, the holiday season, or in fact, all year have been mm -hmm. YOLO giving mm -hmm. and funding public goods on the Ethereum ecosystem and in general and open source software. So um, Gitcoin just passed 10 million in funding to open source software over their history. The vast majority of that occurred this year. This mm -hmm. is super bullish for public goods. Yeah, my, my take on this one is that this is just a symptom of Ethereum building the tools that solves its own problems. Ethereum has historically had terrible funding problems. How do we fund development? And Gitcoin is the uh, platform that really uh, tackles that problem head on. And seeing Gitcoin have all the success that it has had makes me really, really optimistic because it just shows that like Ethereum has it's a new problem. Gitcoin has a way to fund solutions to that problem. So, so bullish on Ethereum solving its own problems. 
I just want to add to that to you, David. It's like bullish Ethereum solving its own problems without taking shortcuts. Because a couple of years ago, the shortcut that everyone was taking that was in vogue is basically, okay, your protocol should start issuing money to developers, basically, to public goods, to infrastructure, right? Um, and so a lot of a lot of chains like Decred, uh, Tezos, uh, they, they started doing that. Of course, the, the trade-off to that is that starts to affect the credible neutrality of your monetary policy, right? Because then there's a, a group of people who own the coins who are voting like a plutocracy and saying, yes, these developers, this group gets some of the new seniorage coinage that we are minting and these other folks don't. That is definitely bad for the credible neutrality of a monetary system. Uh, Ethereum could have done that. In fact, there were proposals were segments, small segments of the Ethereum community wanted to do something like that, but it didn't. Uh, and you know, the, the net effect is we have maintained a credibly neutral monetary policy in Ethereum. And we are also solving our own problems the, the harder way. <laughs> like, so uh, very bullish. And I think um, like bullish on Ethereum, not taking shortcuts to this solution as well. Yeah, and I, I would also add on to that. It's like Gitcoin is something that is really resonant with some of the core values of Ethereum. Uh, funding public goods is one of the world's hardest unsolved problems. It's not just an Ethereum problem, it's a world problem. How do we add and direct money to things that aren't going to profit anyone yet still create a better world for ourselves? So when I see uh, Gitcoin pushing out $10 million in public goods funding, I see that not only is really optimistic for the ecosystem that that's benefiting from, but as a proof of concept of other ways to solve bigger and bigger problems that aren't just Ethereum related. It reminds me of that Slaying Moloch episode, guys. That's you have exactly to look right. that up. So one of our most popular ones of the year, one of my favorites of the year podcast episode. All right, David, we talked about um, releases. We talked about market. Let's get to some of the news. Let's start with the news again about right, uh, Ripple and XRP. <laughs> well, what's what's worth repeating? I mean, I guess um, like what what's happening with the, the SEC versus Ripple thing? Right. So it's been long uh, speculated that XRP is a security that is under the purview of the SEC. The SEC hasn't done anything yet up until today or yesterday. And that was the day. It, people have been speculating about this happening for years. And now it's finally here. This entire industry has always hated XRP. As soon as you get into the world of crypto and start to begin to understand how to evaluate and, and understand Bitcoin and Ethereum and what makes these things so awesome, you then see a complete opposite ethos or values coming out of the XRP Ripple project. Uh, and so the XRP or uh, at the SEC is going after Ripple for generating this, you know, quote unquote shitcoin and then marketing it and then dumping it and doing all of these extremely unethical things to prop up the valuation of the token so that they can continue to sell it to continue to fund themselves. Uh, Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of, of uh, Ripple, took in $600 million in personal revenue. That's revenue into his pocket from uh, just Ripple, from, from being the CEO of Ripple. Uh, so it, what's interesting here is like, this is not only just a retail scam trying to pump the XRP token, but it's also a regulatory heist because Ripple has also trying been trying to get cozy with regulators by donating to the uh, Biden administration, uh, just being really cozy with people in DC. And so it's it's one part scam, one part heist, and I'm glad it's over. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Even Vitalik got a little spicy, I think, on, on Twitter. This is a little off brand for Vitalik, but um, it's interesting that he called XRP a shitcoin. <laughs> on Twitter. Um, 
you know, and, and this is this is some shade that XRP lawyers were throwing at Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think part of the reason why um, you, you've just taken kind of the, the, the hardline stance against XRP that you just took is because XRP and Ripple's really specialized in decentralization theater, right? So because retail is not as plugged into the credible neutrality and the decentralization that make Bitcoin special and make Ethereum special, um, XRP very much tries to disguise themselves as if they are just as decentralized, have the same value set as Bitcoin and Ethereum and um, sell their token to retail. And like many who are new to crypto can't really tell the difference. I don't know how many texts I've, I've gotten from people over the years saying like, yeah, I'm going to buy Bitcoin, Ethereum and XRP. And I'm like, guys, like one of those things is not like the other two, right? <laughs> like uh, you should make sure you know what makes Bitcoin and Ethereum special before you go start buying other cryptocurrencies that like you, you have no idea where their value comes from. Not only is XRP to me um, and quite possibly a, a security in a, in a scam, but it's also a, a, a bad investment, right? It, it suffers from the like the um, MV equals PQ velocity problem of, of 2017. It's just not a good money. So lots of problems with it. It looks like the um, the ship might finally be at least under attack. But part of me, David, is is wondering if they don't just get off with a slap on the wrist, a uh, multi-million dollar fine, maybe a large fine, maybe a hundred million dollars, but they can kind of afford it and uh, go on their merry way. I'm not sure what's what's going to happen. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, it's definitely a very strong worry of mine as well. We saw this happen with the EOS case, which EOS also had a dubious token sale, uh, arguably much less dubious than XRP, but EOS, they raised like something like something crazy in the multiples of billions of dollars. And then they got like some $60 million fine, which at the end of the day, like, is that even a fine if you've raised billions of dollars? Um, I, I'm optimistic that the SEC will not go that same route simply due to how much money that XRP uh, raised specifically from dumping XRP tokens into retail and also some of the back office communications that the SEC seems to have stumbled upon, which are extremely damning uh, about the intentions of Brad Garlinghouse and, and other members of the Ripple board. Yep, very interesting. Um, another development has been this week, uh, the ledger breach. So if you have a ledger wallet, hardware wallet, which, um, we love, like, it's a great, great product. Uh, David's showing a few fists. Wow. Um, uh, this week, some hackers actually published the full list. So, so I believe in June of this year, uh, there was a, a breach. So anyone who had ever purchased a ledger up to June through ledger specifically, their information, like their, their name, their email address, their, uh, their home address, wherever the, the ledger product was shipped to, uh, was hacked and taken. And that was published online through dark markets, sold in that way. Now some hackers actually like publish them for downloads uh, very publicly. So you don't even have to purchase the list of all Ledger customers. This is pretty bad because yeah. of course, crypto is a bearer asset and Ledger absolutely um, should have been more careful. I think they're on a little bit of a, an apology tour mm -hmm. at this point in time. What's your take on this, David? Yeah, it's it's quite unfortunate. There's nothing worse than just a list of people that are known to be bare asset holders along with their email address, phone number, and physical address. That's like just a bad thing to come into the world. Um, 
Ledger, I guess, could be uh, blamed for, for just being careless. Like we all know that centralized databases of personal information are honeypots and Ledger specifically was like one of the hottest lists of information specifically because of the bare asset nature. Um, again, this isn't a problem specifically to crypto. This is just a, a privacy and data problem that we've known about. Like this is not, nothing new or specific to crypto. It's just the fact that it's happening inside of our industry, which makes it so bad. Kind of feel bad for Ledger because like it's the same like almost most companies have this problem you know like most companies have been hacked and had their data uh, breached at some point in time and that's always bad it's just in in the crypto world it's just 10 times as bad due to the bare asset nature so yeah ledger ledger messed up here uh, kind of feel bad for them because it's like a, a problem that everyone messes up with or as, as at some point in time um uh overall just like an unfortunate reality well i i feel bad for them but um i also like more feel bad for their customers, right? There's a lot uh, yeah, of people yeah, that right. are now right. getting like scam emails. They're getting mm -hmm. scam text messages. Um, I don't think there's like serious threat uh, for most people of, of somebody showing up at your house. But the fact that this information is out in the wild and yeah. uh, as accessible as it is, is not good. So here's what you need to do to protect yourself. Um, I recommend actually Argent just put out this, uh, this fantastic a website at argent.xyz slash ledger hack. You can put in your email address and actually see if you are on the list. They'll email you and, and, and um, uh, show you essentially what information may be been disclosed. And what you need to do is completely ignore any text messages that you receive mm -hmm. from Ledger, any you know like phishing email addresses uh, from somebody representing Ledger. Um, make sure you triple check that. Never share your your Ledger private keys. Of course, hopefully this kind of like like fades away. But in the meanwhile, gotta gotta protect yourself and don't do anything uh, stupid because hackers have your data now. If you purchased a ledger, unfortunately. Meanwhile, we'd love to welcome on the quarter million new subscribers to the Bankless newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody made that joke, right? Like we just just signed up everybody for it, like our favorite newsletters. Um, <laughs> All right, David, let's get to the next one. The FinCEN proposed rule. Maybe we don't have to dwell on this because guys, we, we had a great conversation with Jake Trevinsky and we summarized that in our Market Monday report mm -hmm. on the newsletter. So you go check that out if you want it. But like, what's the TLDR here, David? Yeah, the TLDR is that FinCEN is asking for newer and much more strict regulations with regards to KYC. They are just constricting the bottleneck that KYC imposes on off-ramps. Um, you now have to make a report if you make a transaction greater than $3,000 outbound out of your Coinbase or custodian uh, service. If it goes to a wallet, you need to say who that wallet is owned by, whether it's you or your friend or family member. You need their, to give them their name and their, their uh, physical address as well so they need to you need to report who and who lives where which is pretty pretty ridiculous that is the strongest kyc requirements we've ever seen ever from from any sort of industry uh and it's it's uh, there's a lot of second and third order consequences that it's pretty obvious that the drafters of this potential rule do not understand so like ryan said uh, we go through all of those details with our episode with jake stravinsky uh it's in your podcast player it's also on the youtube so check that out for more information there's a chance we can overturn this. It is a proposed rule now. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity for us too that we'll be publishing more information about how you can comment, how you can get involved so we can uh, shoot this down before it becomes a reality. Not the end of the world, but not great news. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of like, I guess, news in general, this is really interesting. So everything that you've heard, if you've been in the US about Congress issuing a, a $600 check to all Americans, of course, um, they issued a $1,200 check back in what, like April, May yeah. of this mm-hmm. year. Um, another stimulus check was, was supposed to go out. Congress went through the arduous process of like, like getting to a compromise where they're like, yep, $600 check. And then last night, Trump uh, shoots it down <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, no, I, I don't think 600 is a good idea. I want everyone to have 2000. So now they're kind of back to the drawing board, I guess. And this is just more of the, the, the 2020 theme that we've seen of money printer go burr. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals are getting uh, money. So are businesses, so are corporations, right? Why, why shouldn't individual Americans? But it might have a very interesting effect on the monetary policy in the US. Yeah, what's interesting to me is is about how this $600 check proposal news got absorbed by the people. And uh, as soon as the $600, you're getting a $600 check when the last time you got a $1,200 check, and it's also been like six, seven months since that last check. As soon as that news broke, I started seeing guillotine memes. And that is something to pay attention to. If the populace of a country are, is making guillotine memes about not receiving enough uh, aid from a central government while the rich are getting like roughly 10 times more than what the poor are getting, that's something to pay attention to. Uh, what's also worthwhile paying attention to is how quickly uh, the Democrats rally behind trying to up that number to $2,000. And then what's even more interesting is that Trump just went right with it. So now it's the Democrats and Trump versus Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party, which is just one of the most interesting things that I think has happened in this month with regards to politics. Muted. We've made the point that that perhaps this kind of uh, this kind of activity starts to shake the illusion and the meme of of money, right? So people think of money as this. They don't think about money all the time, but they just use it as a as a tool. But this this um, causes individuals to stop and think about where the money comes from. And if it can just be printed, well, then it's not scarce. And is it really the money I want to store my wealth in? Um, very interesting psychological effect. I think these these airdrops will have on the American public and on the world as we sort of come to social consensus on what the the money of the 21st century should be. I think there's a bull case for crypto there. Mm-hmm. People getting these $2,000 checks potentially, where if they have excess beyond kind of the groceries and living expenses, where are they, they going to store this cash, David? Well, we saw Brian Armstrong tweet out the a number of specifically $1,200 deposits into Coinbase uh, weeks after the $1,200. <laughs> no spent. way. I didn't yeah. see that. Oh, you didn't see that? Yeah. <laughs> no. the, the, yeah. So the, the number of $1,200, specifically $1,200 deposits to Coinbase uh, spiked right after the $1,200 check that got distributed back in like April or whatever. Uh, I don't see why this would be any different this time. Wow. Very interesting. All right. Um uh, a, a couple other things we could talk about, of course, is uh, Switzerland is doing a central bank digital currency. Seems like every week there's a new country experimenting with that. Uh, we will include a link in the show notes here. Also, Hudson Jamison, he has been the uh, Ethereum core dev facilitator. He is stepping down 
after a fantastic run. And mm -hmm. Tim Bako, who is running the EIP 1559 project, is taking his place to kind of lead coordination on ETH1. Look, man, this is super exciting because uh, Hudson's been great. This really exciting to get Tim in there, get some fresh blood looking at it. I'm very bullish, uh, Tim Bako, in this role. I think he's going to do well. And I think ETH2, ETH1 will ship faster as a result of this uh, sort of change in coordination leadership. What's your take here? Yeah, Hudson Jameson, just one of the 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 friendliest people that you will ever meet, has done a fantastic job, like just cohering the Ethereum community. I call people like Eric Connor and Anthony Cezano and, and DC as like Ethereum's unofficial community managers. Well, Hudson is actually the official community manager of the <laughs> Ethereum Foundation. Uh, so he's been in Ethereum since day one. He's helped uh, helped quote unquote herd the cats, herd all the developers, and get them coordinated. Um, so uh, Hudson, congratulations on on finishing this role out with a bang. And uh, yeah, I'll echo what you said, Ryan, about Tim Bako. Tim Bako has done a fantastic job with EIP 1559 and leading the charge there. I have full faith that he'll be able to continue that charge with all the other things that are useful about uh, Ethereum that I know um, many people don't really uh, know about in comparison to EIP 15559, that, but that is still extremely useful. And that is things like account abstraction. Um, I, I, I don't actually understand account abstraction all that well. However, all the people that I do listen to, such as Mario Conti and Vitalik himself are really, really bullish on account abstraction. Uh, and so getting features like that finished off and polished and included into ETH1 is going to be really, really useful in the long term. And Tim Bako is absolutely the man for the job. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a hardware wallet. There is no alternative for storing your crypto in a self-sovereign fashion. That's why I have four ledgers that I use to manage my different crypto assets using the Ledger Live account as well. Ledger Live is like your home base for managing your Ethereum, DeFi, and crypto accounts. It does a really good job of aggregating all of your different Ethereum wallets if you are the type of person that uses more than one. But you can also add other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Cosmos or whatever your preferred blockchain is. And then it will display an aggregate portfolio of all your accounts at the main page. One thing that Ledger is doing a really good job of is enabling all of the money verbs that me and Ryan talk about with the Bankless Skill Cube enabled in the Ledger Live app. So right now in the Ledger Live app, you can buy, sell, lend, swap, and stake your crypto assets, which is doing a really good job of fulfilling all of the money verbs in the Bankless Skill Cube. Something that's new to Ledger Live is Ledger Swap, where you can swap assets one for another directly inside the Ledger Live application, ensuring trustlessness in your financial activity on Ethereum and on Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about what you can do with a Ledger, go to the blog post, The Power of Ledger Live on the Ledger website, where they share some of the more advanced things that you can do with your Ledger that you might not have known about. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to the Ledger shop where you can get your preferred Ledger hardware wallets. I personally like the Ledger Nano X, but I also have both. They're both great options. When you own a Ledger, you own your own assets in the way that they have been designed to be held by the user and the user alone. So go get your ledger today to make sure that you are as self-sovereign as possible. The Bankless State of the Nations are brought to you by Wire. Wiren is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. Wiren is 
a system that seeks out yield in DeFi, and it does that in a number of different ways. Well, a very aggressive way is with the vaults, where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token, right? And so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi. For those who want to just earn yield on their stable coins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stable coin and Wiren will go and figure out which money market on DeFi and DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYDX, it's Compound or Aave. It, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stable coins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people All are right, doing David, as well. uh, we've hit we've hit the news items. Let's go do some takes. So uh, do you want to start with this one from Hayden Adams? Yeah, so uh, in the Mizari uh, exchange list, it, it lists the country that every single exchange uh, is domiciled in, right? So like Coinbase is in, in you know, America, Binance is in the Caymans, uh, but Uniswap just doesn't have one. And, and like Hayden uh, gives out this tweet um, where he says, uh, can you go back to the tweet? Uh, Hayden says, you joke, but legit, the coolest thing about this page is not, is not Uniswap competing with centralized exchanges, it's Uniswap being the only one without a country section that is filled in a, a blank country section. Ethereum is the closest thing to a country that Uniswap has. This, this tweet resonates with a lot of the themes that we've been uh, speaking about on the Bankless program. I want to send this tweet to our friend Rowan Gray to, so he can you know, talk about um, protocols that can exist outside of the nation state and actually facilitate human coordination. It's something we, of course, are bullish on. Uh, he thinks that the nation state is kind of the sole coordination vehicle and the legal structure as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that is is proving to be the case that that like, hey, humanless systems can actually facilitate massive amounts of of commerce and coordination activity. Very cool. Love. I, this. I do hope that Missouri adds Ethereum as the country. I do. They <laughs> fill that in there. Or the how about the Bankless Station, David? That, yeah, that'd, that'd be too that cool. Too. That'd be too cool. <laughs> All right. What, what's our next take here? Next take is from you, Ryan. You want to take it? No, sure. Yeah. So uh, th this maybe goes off of the conversation with Rowan Gray to you, but um, so this is part of the stimulus package we we're just talking about in news. Uh, Congress actually stuck in some additional language in there that has nothing to do with helping individuals or fiscal stimulus. Uh, they actually put in some some copyright language, so language that's in favor of of um, copyright laws and restrictions uh, to the point where you can actually get fined for streaming videos. You can actually get fined for taking copyrighted materials, creating memes of them and uploading them to the internet. The fine could be as high as 30K for sharing something like a meme. There's some information about this we'll include in the show notes, but this kind of like stuff kills me, dude, because it's like uh, Congress is supposed to be there for the people and promote legislation that, that helps the people. And we've got a, a stimulus package that, that is meant to help heal the wounds from coronavirus. And they're putting in this kind of pork and it's not like self-serving pork. It's like clearly lobbyist injected, special mm -hmm. interest injected crap that nobody wants and that nobody needs. And it's not uh, even relevant to stimulus or not or even relevant. And it erodes some of our, this some more of our digital freedoms and digital rights, right? So like boomer Congress strikes again. And quite frankly, David, it pisses me <laughs> off, dude. It just pisses me off every time this happens. And this is the reason in our conversation with Rowan Gray, we made the point, hey, Rowan, you want to do this MMT stuff, right? That's all great. But like um, the government right now is not working for the people. And you want to put all our eggs in that governance basket? 
it's it's just going to become corrupted and even more corrupted uh, as you continue to do that and give them more monetary monetary po uh, power. And that's that's I think what what crypto is doing. It's providing a, a lifeboat, an alternative, right? Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily want to give this gr broken governance uh, system more monetary and economic power. We want to diversify out of it. That's what the crypto movement is all about. So that's my hot hot take. Boomer Congress continues to screw over our digital rights. Uh, when they have the opportunity, we always have to be vigilant to try to stop it. But crypto is an alternative approach that um, has neutra neutrality baked into its core. Yeah, and it's just all too obvious as to where the why people are being distrustful in institutions. When uh, institutions or the government tries to give the people money for COVID relief, I guess thank you. But then also when you try and and like include like a bunch of like different like restrictions on what you are able to do with your life, uh, and then like dangle the COVID relief carrot in front of you at the same time, saying like, hey, we're gonna you, you get free money, but we're also gonna restrict your rights. Like, fuck you. Like, no, I, like, how do you, how do you as an institution ask for trust in, in, when it's in a situation like that? Like you don't, like there is no trust in institutions these days. And this is why. It's definitely part of the trust erosion story for sure. All right, David, we did takes. What are you excited about this week, my friend? I'm excited about cultural spillover. Uh, and here, here's what I mean by that. Uh, in the Ethereum world, in the crypto world, in the Bitcoin world, we have a lot of culture. We have like a lot of shared memes that people don't get from the outside. Like we have, we all have like the same way of speaking. We all, we all value the same memes. We all laugh at the same jokes. We have really strong culture in the crypto world. And what I think the world really, really is thirsty for right now is new forms of culture people and, and especially digital uh digital communication and, and social media people love having digital culture and that is what we have cultivated in the world of crypto and specifically the culture we've generated is like the culture and jokes and memes around making money and growing wealth and especially in time hard times like this where people are looking for like online communities social communities and also looking to make money i think that is culturally product market fit i think the world of social media is uh, is going to be compelled by like some of this the degen jokes that we make on crypto twitter uh and that's kind of what i'm 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 excited to do, to see happen in 2021 is exporting crypto culture to the rest of the world that is interested in it i think that actually this is something that the rest of the world is more or less ready for. Uh, we see people like DGen aping into Robinhood investments uh, back when, back in the the bear, the the crash back in March and April. Uh, that same energy is super relevant to crypto, uh, and I, I think the cultural spillover from crypto to just general um, millennial type communities, uh, you know, the the group DMs. I think that's going to happen really, really strongly in 2021, uh, and that's that's something I'm really, really interested in. That's super cool, David. I do think actually the spillover could happen the other way too, where some of the the other uh, like culture that hasn't historically been crypto native will become a bit more crypto native. I'm thinking of the uh, the Beeple sale. Mm -hmm. So a digital artist in Beeple who has kind of this cult following outside of crypto completely just sold $3.5 million of his art collection, right? Um, that is you know, elements of digital culture that haven't historically been crypto becoming um, becoming tokenized and becoming crypto native. And so it's like this, this fusion, this, this melting pot with, with other cultures. That's really exciting. I think in 2021 too, I'll echo that. 
Yeah, and if you want to get in on the crypto culture, the Bankless Instagram is heating up. We have a guy that is managing the Bankless Instagram. So if you are on Instagram and you want crypto memes in your Instagram feed, follow Bankless HQ on Instagram. Uh, we are trying to spread the frontier, spread the message on Instagram. So give us a follow there. Shout out Michael Wong, who is helping us with that activity. Uh, yeah, very cool. Ryan, what are you excited about? You know, I'm excited about all-time highs, my friend. So Bitcoin hit its all-time highs. Um, but uh, Lucas uh, from our team, from the Bankless team, put together a post about uh, Ethereum. So Ether, while Bitcoin hit all-time highs, interestingly enough, Ether is still 50% down from all-time highs from a price perspective. And yet, this is what's exciting, yet the Ethereum economy is hitting all-time high on almost all of its other metrics besides, besides price. Uh, so Lucas just published like 10 of those metrics. The first is like network utilization rate. So the Ethereum network is being used more than it's ever been used before. That hit all-time highs in 2020. A hash rate. So this is the, the uh, compute power that secures the Ethereum network. That's at all-time highs. Never been higher than 2020. Ethereum open interest, Ether open interest. So Ether as kind of a um, options market. The liquidity in the Ethereum Ether options market has hit all-time highs of, as, as well. So this provides a more price efficient um, market and more liquid market, which again, liquidity begets liquidity. We've got DeFi users hitting all-time highs this year. So that's number four. We started the year with 100,000. Now we have over a million DeFi users. So we are the small, we're the size of a small American city at this point. And it's a 10x growth, right? Total locked in DeFi, that hit 15 billion this year, blew the previous all-time highs uh, out of the water. We were like very less than a billion at the start of this year. So that's incredible as well. And then he goes through uh, five other all-time highs too. So DEX volumes, all-time high. Bitcoin on Ethereum, we talk about that every week on the weekly rollups. That's all-time high. ETH in grayscale. Uh, ETH is now becoming institutionalized as well. So 2.3% of all Ethereum supply is in grayscale. That is all time high. Um, stable coins on Ethereum, 20 billion circulating in the Ethereum economy. That's number nine. That's another all time high. And of course, there's now 2 million. That's about 2% of all Ether in the ETH deposit contract. That didn't even exist at the beginning of this year. Didn't even exist at um, like last month in November, <laughs> and that is now all time high. So the Ethereum economy is, is flourishing. It is hitting its all time high. And the question in my mind is how long will it take ETH price to catch up? Nick Carter put out a post similar to this with uh, Bitcoin metrics. And he put that out about uh, a month ago. It was basically like Bitcoin's at all time high and transaction volume, all of these things, um, but price isn't yet. And within a month price Price breached all-time high and caught up. We will see what happens in 2021 uh, if price catches up with all of these Ethereum economy metrics all-time high. But So I'm excited about that, David. And you know what? I'm just excited we had a good year in general in crypto. So Ether price is up 265%. Bitcoin price is up 218%. Uh, the NASDAQ in comparison, that's a 40%. A gold was up 20%. S&P 14%. So crypto outperformed this year, my friend. Uh, when we're starting the year, like we weren't sure which way it would go. Uh, we were bullish on this industry long-term and it, it's nice to have uh, some feedback from the market that like directionally, 
uh, crypto has been right. And like, you know, the bankless thesis uh, has shown itself strong this year. That's what I'm excited about. Listeners will know that we are generally permabulls on Ether on the Bankless podcast. However, I still believe that the onus is on you if you don't think that Ether will cross all-time highs in Q1 2021, if not even sooner than that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, this was a little long, but hopefully it gets you through the, the holiday season. On behalf of David and myself, everybody in the Bankless Nation, have a Merry Christmas, have a Happy New Year. We will see you next week. 